kids can be dismissed to Kids Church. Thank you so much, Beth, for your ministry to our future church. If you're visiting this morning, welcome. You are family. Make yourself at home. <sighs> so I want to spend, I don't know how long, maybe a few weeks, talking about identity, because I've come to realize more than ever that identity is uh, at the root of all of our relationship issues, our relationship with ourselves, with God, and each other. It all boils down to identity, our identity. And so uh, I had Sarah, she, she updates our website, and, you know, I made a little graphic and had her put it on there, on the website. Uh, I said, and at first it's <laughs> it said 2021 sermon focus, identity. And she said, sorry, Sarah, I'm telling on you. She'll forgive me. I'll make it up for you. <laughs> uh, she said, are, are you going to talk about that for the rest of the year? I said, the whole Bible is about identity. That's the whole point. This is, this is not a self-help program. This is a metamorphosis. It's a change of identity in the same way that a worm becomes a caterpillar. That's what this is about. So yes, in some way or another, we're going to be talking about identity for the rest of our time here. What? Did I, did I say something? What did I do now? Thank you for telling me now and not later. I, I do appreciate that. It's the worst when you find out later. That's the worst. And they usually wait till later. By the way, Mom, you know what you said? So thank you. You know what I meant. It could have been a lot worse, and it has been, it has been worse. Caterpillar becomes a butterfly. So I, I want to talk about identity. And uh, I don't like to call this a series because that's such an American thing. We love our series. It's so weird. It's just a focus, a sermon focus for a while, for as long as the Lord leads. So today's title uh, is Fig Leaves or Robe. And some of you might know where I'm going with this. So I'm going to start. In order to talk about identity, we really, we really need to go back to the very beginning, to the creation of our identities, and find out what happened. What happened that we have such broken identities, such a fallen identity, and uh, what's the remedy? So if we go back to Genesis chapter 1, the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, I'm not going to read all of it, but I would encourage you to study these chapters, the first few chapters of Genesis, where God created the earth and the animals. And then in verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, 26, I'm reading in the New King James, it says, then God said, let us, oh, who's he talking to? This is the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three persons, all God. I know that's hard to grasp, but God by necessity is a trinity because God is the original community, and community is what it's all about. God by necessity is a community, so the trinity is the original community, and just as, you know, 
a married couple wants to bring more children into that wonderful unity, that community, so God created us. And so he, God said, let us make man, and the Hebrew rendering is mankind, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. This is after he made the animal kingdom, by the way. And so he made us in his image, meaning that our actions are hopefully based on wisdom and not instinct. They are decisions based on wisdom and not mere animal instinct. And God gave us as humans the capacity to act on wisdom and do things like forgive our enemies, for instance. Where do you see that in the animal kingdom? <laughs> Another distinction is we wear clothes. And I'm going to get to that. So God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And when you see that word dominion, just think of a righteous rule. A good ruler takes good, excellent care of whatever's in its care, in his care, right? So we are, we are created and mandated, commanded to rule this planet well. That was part of God's command to his creation. So I want us to realize right here that when God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, this was God's first descriptor of our identity. The very first thing he ever said about you and me was that we are each created in his image, with his likeness. He's a person. God, the, the, the God of Christianity is a personal God with feelings and emotions. And that's how he made us. And you know what? I learned way too late in life to see other people as created in God's image. Because I hate to say it, the church taught me, and it happens because we are flawed, we, we, we misinterpret, we don't, we're not always guided by the Holy Spirit when we read these words. Sometimes we listen to each other, <laughs> bad teachers, and sometimes we get it wrong, and sometimes I get it wrong, and I will, so that's why I need you, and you need me, and we need each other. But for so many years, I saw people not as simply created in the image of God. His masterpiece. Every single human being. Oh, no. No, I was taught by fellow humans, flawed humans, fellow flawed humans, to see people in all kinds of different categories and ways. Everybody in my growing up, and I grew up in the church, what is it? Is it a caterpillar? Is it a worm? I don't know what it is. What's the noise? <laughs> okay, then we won't worry about it. All right, where was I? Where was I? Created in God's image. You see, I, I grew up in the church, and my view of people was everybody was either a saint or a sinner, either one, right? And then I added all kinds of other categories and labels, 
right? And then, you know, maybe I realize, well, okay, that's not quite right. Maybe everybody's either a Democrat or a Republican, <laughs> or gay or straight, or black or white, or whatever or whatever. Everybody was either or. And eventually, I just opened the book again, and I took off, took off the lenses, and I read, wow, every human being is created in the image of God, in his likeness. We all have, we all were born with the same exact capacity for good and evil, to love, to forgive, to fail, to hate, all of it, all of it. And so when, that was one of the first things God did in my 30s when he brought me out of what I call religious Christianity, Christianity practiced as a religion. And I entered this new way of understanding, and I started realizing if Christianity involves a relationship with God, then it must also involve a proper relationship with people. And for that, I have to start with how I see them. Every human being is created in the image of God. Is it the aliens? Maybe. <laughs> Jeff is saying yes. <laughs> Do we know what it is? Are we going to just ignore it? Can we concentrate? Can Faith Bogdan concentrate? That's a real question. Those of you who know me. <laughs> What's that? All right, we, we're just going to go with it. We're just going to go with it. All right. So God created us in his image. And then verse 27, it says, God created man in his own image. And there's a semicolon there. And it says, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And it's a very beautiful thing to realize that in order for God to create humanity in his image, he had to make us male and female for us to be created in the image of God. Isn't that amazing? That's a beautiful thing. Because God is spirit. God is a spirit. He's a person. He's a spirit uh, with male and female attributes. He's the nurturer, the provider, and so on. So we go now to what's known as the fall of creation in Genesis chapter 2. And then we come to this part. It says in Genesis chapter 3, I'm sorry, chapter 3, uh, verse 1, it says, The serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now, if you get hung up on, was this a literal snake talking, you're going to miss the whole entire point. The point is Satan put this idea into Eve's mind, and then she passed that on to her husband, Adam. And the woman said to the serpent in Genesis 3, verse 2, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, 
lest you die. So God had placed two trees in the garden, the tree of life. They were allowed to eat from that because that made them live forever because we are eternal beings. And God wanted them, he intended for them, for us to live eternally in this pre-fallen state. And I'll talk about what that felt like and what that looked like. But God said, don't eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It is hard to completely understand what this tree meant, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, let alone articulate it. But I'll try. I'll try my best. And, and this is as far as I understand it at this point. This tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let's see what Satan said. It says, verse 4, Genesis uh, chapter, chapter 3, verse 4, The serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that in the day you, you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. This is key. Your eyes will be opened when you eat this tree, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What exactly what, what does that mean? See, so, well, let's see what happens first. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise... She didn't know how wise she was. She was created in God's image. Hello. She had all of the divine wisdom available to her through a relationship with her creator. It doesn't get, one does not get any wiser than that. And here is Satan trying to convince her that she needs to find wisdom <laughs> on her own. One commentator referred to this as a DIY tree a do-it-yourself tree. Do life yourself. Figure it out yourself. Decide for yourself what's right and wrong, what's good and evil. That, see, that was the curse. The temptation, ironically, became the very curse. And I'll tell you why. So it says she took of the fruit and ate, verse 6, and she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate and just like Satan promised, the eyes of both of them were opened. He made it out like it was going to be a good thing to have their eyes opened. Now, first of all, let's talk about where they went wrong, why this was wrong, why it was a really bad move to partake of this DIY tree. See, they wanted to decide for themselves to define themselves what is good and evil, what is right and wrong. And interestingly enough, eating of the tree was the very first action. It was the very first time they decided for themselves, well, this isn't actually really all that bad. God told us this was wrong, but maybe he was wrong. Maybe it was, it's not so wrong. Maybe it's not so bad to just... Take a bite. So in deciding in that moment that they themselves can define right and wrong and good and evil, they acted that decision out and take the first bite. And ironically, it made having that very knowledge a curse in itself. And I'll explain why. But first, Proverbs 9.10 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. See, everybody wants wisdom. There's, there's, there are three things having to do with our mind. There's knowledge, intelligence, and wisdom. Knowledge is something you acquire 
Intelligence is something you're born with, but wisdom is very different. Wisdom can only come from God. Wisdom is the proper application of knowledge and intelligence. It's not something we, we, we can acquire or we're born with. We have to get it. And they had it available to them through a relationship with God, through submission to God. This is a key verse for life. This verse right here in Proverbs 9:10 holds the secret for really for life, for, for successful human life is Proverbs 9:10. Look at it. Face it. The fear of the Lord, this is not a dread, this is an awe. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. In other words, if you want wisdom and understanding, if you want to know how to be a successful human being, fear God, that is, submit your life to Him, and know Him. Know Him. He will give you all the wisdom you need. I'm talking practical, sometimes minute-by-minute wisdom. Go here, don't go there. Do this, don't go that. Say this and say it this way and say it at this time. (laughs) Those things involve wisdom. It's available and it was 100% available to them, but the lie they literally swallowed was there's more wisdom that you can get on your own. You don't need God. You can decide for yourself what is right and wrong and what is good and evil. Here's the problem. See, it says their eyes were suddenly opened. They were at one point innocent like children, no knowledge of evil. See, don't hear that this this is a tree of knowledge because knowledge is good. It's not that knowledge is bad. It's knowledge of good and evil. That was the problem. So at one minute, they're an innocent like innocent children. Everything's only good. They took the bite and bam, their eyes are open. Now they are aware of something they were not aware of before, and it's good and evil. And here's why it was a problem, see, because God is love. He defines himself as love. The Christian God, his very essence is love. It says that. It's a verse. God is love. That's how he defines himself. Because God is love, only God can handle the knowledge of good and evil, especially the good and evil that you and I are capable of. Look, because I am not love, I'm becoming love, according to Dan Moeller, that's the way he puts it. But because I am not God and therefore I am not love, I am not very good at handling this knowledge of good and evil in you and in myself. Are we? Do you wish there are things you didn't know about people? Do you wish you could unsee some things (laughs) and others and yourself? We in ourselves cannot handle this knowledge of good and evil. It makes us crazy. The world right now, right now, the the debate between what is good and what is evil is at an all-time high. I could name issues right now that even in the church, even in the church is split down the middle. It's good. No, that's evil. No, it's good. No, that's evil. That's the curse. This knowledge of good and evil became a curse for us. 
We can't handle it. You know why? Because we're not love. Only a God who is love has the capacity to keep loving you and me in our fallen state that makes us oh so capable of evil. Evil actions, evil thoughts, evil intent, evil attitude, evil motive. God didn't want us, did not intend for us to have to carry that knowledge about ourselves and each other. And it's not that we were evil, but once that first bite was taken, our nature was corrupted and evil, which was at one point an exterior voice, now became internalized and corrupted our nature. And the first thing that happened was our eyes were open, and then, then we, per we perceived, Adam and Eve perceived their nakedness as a problem. Bodhi Hodge says, nakedness itself was not a sin, but a fallen perception of nakedness and the associated shame was included in the sorrows and mental anguish they now felt. So with that first bite, known as the fall of mankind, our innocent nature was corrupted, and as a result, we perceived our nakedness as a problem. Now, as I go into this, I want you to hear the word transparency when you hear nakedness. Because the big lie was you should not be transparent. You should not be authentic. You should not be free to be yourself. You have something to hide. That was the big switch. That, that was the big trick. The big lie. And it's fascinating to me that the first thing that happened as soon as that first bite was taken, note, the very first thing that happened was a, a, was a fallen perception. Their eyes were open and they saw that they were naked. Look, it wasn't about behavior. It's not like Eve took the first bite and then suddenly they started kicking puppies and polluting the planet. There was nothing behavior-related. Their eyes were suddenly, they were open in a way they were not supposed to be open, and they suddenly saw through very corrupted lenses. And suddenly their nakedness, their transparency was wrong. Suddenly they themselves we're literally something to be ashamed of. And you know what? This is fascinating to me. I've researched this. You cannot find a culture. You can, you can find the most primitive tribal people on the planet still wear some kind of covering. It's true. Testament to the doctrine of clothing. It's true. It's universal. There's this shame associated with being completely transparent. So I see Adam and Eve's nakedness um, not as symbolic of being transparent and authentic. Oh no, it's the full measure of being transparent and authentic. They were so free to be themselves they didn't wear clothes, but as soon as, as, soon as their nature was corrupted and their perception was, was diseased, suddenly they looked at themselves and there was shame. There was shame. 
So why on earth do we think that the way to present someone with the gospel is to tell them to first change their behavior and get their act together? I don't get it. Religion does that. That's not the Christian message. The Christian message is, well, we'll get to that. God, heal my eyes. Heal my identity. Give me a new set of eyes. Let me see myself the way you see me. That's the Christian message. Because any psychologist will tell you behavior springs from identity. You change your identity, change the way you see yourself, and you'll start behaving differently. And that sounds in itself sufficient, like a really good humanistic message. But guess what? We can't do it without the Holy Spirit. It is a real, real supernatural metamorphosis. That's the gospel. There has to be a death and resurrection. It's not a, it's not a self-improvement program. So their eyes were opened. Interestingly enough, Jesus says, listen to these words in Matthew 6, verse 22. Jesus says this in Matthew 6, verse 22. He says, the lamp of the body is the eye. The Greek rendering is the illuminator of, the, of yourself, your person, is the eye. If therefore your eye is good and the Greek is clear, if your eyesight is clear, then your whole body will be full of light. You know what the Greek word is there? Transparent. If you have clear vision, if you have redeemed eyesight... If God redeems your identity, the way you see yourself, then you, the re, you will become transparent as a person. But if your eye is bad, the Greek is diseased and degenerate, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. Even Jesus is confirming this idea that it, it, it has to begin with a change of eyesight. We must have clarity of vision if we want to become the transparent, authentic human beings we were created to be. So what happens? So they take the bite. It says the, the, in verse 7, Genesis uh, 3, verse 7, it says, the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. So strange. Look, this is a husband and wife. There's no one else at home. They can run around naked. How come they were suddenly ashamed of being naked in front of each other? Did you ever think of that? It says the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. And what did they do? <laughs> they did the same thing you and I do all the time. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. I mean, we don't literally do that, but we have all kinds of fig leaves and coverings. I mean, you, you think of all the things we do to hide our true selves from the world and from each other. I could make a list. We could sit here and make a, a list. I mean, people hide behind all kinds of things. Career, job, position, title, a relationship, you know, some, some persona. And then there's all kinds of symptoms that are merely figly. They're just fig leaf symptoms. That's why we vague post and subtweet. It's true. My dad calls it a backdoor approach to relationship because we hide. We're afraid of being upfront, face to face. It's fig leaves. 
So what does God say? Verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees. They run into the forest. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? I love that even in your fallen, sinful state, we can still hear the voice of God calling. And he calls to every single person he created all the time, all their life, until they finally turn around and answer, where are you? Where are you going? What are you doing? I'm... <laughs> Implicit in that question, where are you, is I want to find you. I'm after you. I'm on the hunt. I'm in pursuit of you. That was the question. So Adam said, I heard your voice. And isn't it amazing that he could still hear God's voice? I heard your voice. See, people all the time, by the way, people all the time hear the voice of God. They just don't know it. All the time, God is speaking to the people he created. It's just that not everybody recognizes, that, recognizes it as the voice of God. I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid. Why? Because I was naked. I was afraid to be transparent. I was afraid to be authentic. And so I hid myself. It's fascinating what God says to him. God doesn't say, oh, you idiot. I told you not to eat of that tree. Now look what you did. It's not the first thing God says. What does God say? Who told you you were naked? What's the first word God says was who? Who was it who told you you were naked? Now, God knew. God knew who told them they were naked. God knew everything that happened. Why does God make it a point to put that question out there for them and for you and me? Because God wants us to know that it's a lie from Satan. God wants you and I to hear that question loud and clear. Who is it every single time that tells you and me we should not be transparent, we should hide who we are? We should hide our true selves. We should hide the amazing, wondrous creation, the masterpiece that God made you and I to be. God wants us to understand whose voice it is that tells us all the time you should hide. You're shameful. Nobody wants to hear you. You have nothing to offer. Who told you? You are naked. That's why in Revelation 12, verse 10, it says at the end, this is a vision John the Revelator had at the end, the end of all things, the end of the age. He has this vision, and it says, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. See, accusations, Satan is called the accuser. Why? Because accusations aren't truths. Probably not most of the time or a lot of the time. He's just the accuser. He's a liar. He's an accuser. He's a liar. It's interesting what happened to Job. When you read the book of Job, 
It's like you're a, bird, you're, you're a, a fly on the wall watching this whole thing play out. What, do you remember what God, if you know the story, do you remember what God said to Satan about Job? He said, hey, Satan, hey, have you considered my servant Job? There's nobody like him in the whole world. Man, I'm proud of that man I made. I love that Job. There's nobody like him. That's my Job. That's what God said to Satan. And yet, just a few chapters later in Job 13, you know what Job is saying to God? He's he's blubbering and crying about all this stuff that's happened to him. And he says this to God, why do you hide your face and regard me as your enemy? Will you frighten a leaf driven to and fro? For you write bitter things against me. That's what Job says to God. The same God who had bragged about him as saying there's no one like him in the whole world. And God thinks that about you and about me. You're his favorite creation. You are his favorite creation. And so much of our life is spent listening to that lie. So then came the first question from God to man. Who told you you were naked? Paraphrased, who told you you're not enough? Who told you you're too much? Who told you to shut up? Who told you to be intimidated? Who told you you don't belong? Who told you to hide your beautiful or awesome self from the world? Who told you you aren't beautiful? Who told you to be ashamed Who said you need to brag or pretend to have it all together? Who told you to feel insulted, offended, judged, or misunderstood? All the results of a fallen identity. This is what I wrote down recently. I'm just going to read it to you. Imagine what we were like before the fall. We related to each other authentically without pretense second-guessing, or overthinking. Anybody here need to go to Overthinkers Anonymous? Yeah. We were free, but eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil corrupted our nature and created what is at the heart of all our relationship problems, ego, a person's sense of self-esteem or self-importance or the knowledge of what is good and evil about ourselves. Before the fall, now just just hear me out. Before the fall, we didn't have an ego. We never thought about ourselves at all. Our focus was solely on God and his love for us. Every minute of our existence was spent in worship of him in response to that love. There was never a nanosecond of concern about how God esteemed us and therefore how we esteemed ourselves, and we reveled in that. God's love was our life source and the basis for our identity. And then we bought Satan's lie. Eat this fruit and your eyes will be opened to self-discovery. You don't need God's love. It's all about self-love. It's a good thing. It was a very bad thing. God knew us and loved us, and that was enough. 
and it's still enough because he loves us as much as he did in the very beginning before there was a fall. And besides, the paradox of hiding ourselves in God's love is that we then discover and become the truest version of ourselves. Boy, did Satan hide that fact. We lost ourselves trying to find ourselves by following his advice. So what did they do? They hid from the presence of God. It says they hid themselves in verse 8 from the presence of God. And look, if hiding from God's presence was the result of shame, then it would make sense that the remedy for and the reversal of shame is daily, hourly immersion in the presence of God. You want to reverse this? You want to lose the shame? You want to become that free and open, authentic transparent, no fig leaves, person God made you to be, start spending time in the presence of God. I'm not talking about religious ritual. I'm talking about an authentic relationship with God, putting yourself there, sitting with him every day, shutting off the noise. God, I'm here, and I need you to love me. I'm listening. Help me grasp that here. In my heart. I find all the time it's my life, it's the story of my life. The only thing that gets me out of that funk that you and I find ourselves in, where there's shame and hiding and disgrace and fear, the only remedy for that is the presence of God. That's why they ran. It drove the, the fear and the shame drove them from the presence of God, and the only way to get rid of that is to immerse ourselves in the presence of God every single day. It's getting late, so I'm going to just wrap this up with some verses. Uh, you may know the rest of the story, and I would encourage you to read it. The first thing God did was he cursed the snake for what he did. And then God made coverings from animal skin because he realized those fig leaves were not sufficient, and they never are. All the things we do will never be enough to cover our shame and fear and guilt. The things we hide behind so God clothed them with animal skin. It was a natural preservation from the elements, but it was also a foreshadow of the great truth of the gospel that only with the shedding of blood can there be a removal of guilt and shame. And that shedding of blood became on the cross through Jesus Christ, called the Lamb of God, the great sacrificial lamb who shed his blood for you and me. And it's only that atoning sacrifice that can remedy all this and reverse this curse. You know, when you see pictures of Jesus on the cross, he's always clothed, of course, of course. But it wasn't really that way. It says in Hebrews 12, verse 2, that Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame. The Greek rendering of that word is disesteemed it. In other words, he didn't let the shame of being naked before the whole entire world stop him from taking your place and my place on the cross. 
he absorbed all of the guilt and shame and fear into himself. He bore our shame. He was laid open, bare and naked, full of shame, our shame, our sin, our guilt. He suffered the ultimate shame, the most shameful, the the, the most shame a person can suffer, multiplied by however many people there are in the world for all of time. That was what Jesus felt on the cross. And he did that in our place as our atoning sacrifice. And the Bible goes on to say that through that work on the cross, he provided robes of righteousness that we can now wear. Hence my title, fig leaves or robe. Jesus said in Revelation 3, verse 17, He's saying this actually to a church. He's saying this to church people. This church in Laodicea had grown cold and lukewarm. They were religious. They did all the stuff. They were religious people. And Jesus says, because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you don't know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold, refined in the fire. In other words, be willing to go through whatever it is you have to go through because it's actually refining. I'm refining you. It's a purifying work. Buy gold that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. What is it he wants us to see? He wants us to look at ourselves and say, wow, I'm clothed in a robe of righteousness that only God can give me. My own righteousness will never save me. I cannot in myself be okay enough for God. And I will never be, no matter how hard I try. God offers us robes of righteousness. It's his righteousness. Paul said in Philippians 3, Oh, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. That is from trying to keep the law. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. I am on a quest, a lifelong quest, and I'm getting there. I'm farther than I used to be, and I'm still moving forward and progressing as we all are. But what I really want God to do in my life is I want him to anoint my eyes with spiritual eye salve like I just read. I want him to change my vision. I want him to give me clarity of vision so that I can see myself the way he sees me. Because when you say yes to Jesus, when you identify with his death and resurrection, you are identifying with a great and profound truth. I do not have to be my shameful old self anymore. That died with Christ. It was buried. And now I can resurrect to a brand new life in him. And my new clothing is robes of righteousness that only he can give me. It is his righteousness clothing me. It's not my own. It was a great exchange. 
Jesus became unclothed and full of shame so that I can be clothed in the love of God with no more shame, only knowing how loved I am. So much more I could say. It's really hard to condense this. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you and only you offer us a way to live free. Would you help us to grasp this truth in our hearts? Would you help us most of all, Lord, to understand your love for us and how free we are when we know how much we are loved by you, that that itself is our clothing. That's our covering. When we are hidden in you, as your word says, paradoxically, there's no more need to hide. That's the most free we can ever be is when we are clothed in your love, your righteousness, your goodness, not our own. Lord, I pray that we would recognize that you are Lord and God and Master master of our destiny, creator of our identity. Would you open our eyes today as we sing, Lord? Open the eyes of our hearts. Open the eyes of our hearts to see you, who you are, this God that is love, and therefore to understand who we are. the free, authentic, transparent people you made us to be. I pray that that revelation would be freeing, liberating. In your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I've been long today, but sorry, not sorry. You may be dismissed. <laughs>